This morning I want to talk to you about the spiritual discipline of sass. As in the holy practice of being sassy. This is not what I was planning to preach about. But as I was hiking this week and turning these lessons over and over in my head, I began to pray about them. First about Abraham and or Abram at this point, Abram and Sarai being sent out far from home with the promise of becoming a blessing. And then this complicated, well-worn gospel with John 3.16 painted and stitched and stamped on all manner of things the whole world round. Where to start, I prayed. God, what would you have me preach? As I continued down the trail, I heard a one-word response. Sass. My prayers are very seldom answered so quickly or directly, but there it was, and so here we are. Sass. It runs as a shimmering through line from these oldest stories of our ancestors in the faith up into the Gospels to this newer reckoning of a prominent religious leader as he tries to work out what the arrival of Jesus might mean. I want to start with Sarai. Sarai, the one who isn't even named in this short story from Genesis. She's there, though, standing just behind these words. God doesn't call Abram alone to pick up and leave everything, to leave home and family and land and life, everything. He calls Abram's wife, Sarai, to do the same. Her response isn't recorded here. In the verses that follow, we just hear that she also sets out on this adventure to a totally unknown land. But having heard the the whole of her story, we can guess. Remember, it is Sarai, by then called Sarah, who laughs at the notion that she would bear a child in her old age. She laughs right in God's face, or, or at least in response to God's messengers. A baby? Really? She's guffawing. She's slapping her knee. Tell me another one. (laughs) Does she also push back against being sent off to God knows where? I mean, it is that, quite literally. It is a place where God knows and where she absolutely does not. It is a, a place God hopes for her to go and live as a blessing But how is she supposed to know what that would be? I hear her voice rising. Seriously, God? You're sending me where and with how little? You have got to be kidding me. Sarai lives out her call, but but probably not without sassing God along the way. And then... Nicodemus. 
By everyone's measures, he is wise and successful and respected. He is a leader among leaders in the religious community. He's looked up to enough that he must come to Jesus by night so that he won't be seen associating with this rabble-rousing young rabbi. But risky as it is, he can't stay away. Something about this man's teaching has been tugging at his heart, and he has to find out more. And when he does, as soon as he does, Nicodemus balks. Jesus tries to open the great mysteries of God to him, and in turn, Nicodemus opens his mouth. Maybe he can't help it, or or maybe it's just his role in life, laying down the law, highlighting the absurd, and then getting folks back into line. Jesus tells him that he must be born anew, be born of the Spirit, and... This being an outlandish notion, Nicodemus drops his jaw, and he sasses Jesus right back. This is impossible, he starts, shaking his head. Jesus, are are you some kind of fool? Do you not know how babies arrive in this world, or that it only happens once? In my mind, his his tone is some mixture of playful and scoffing. Surely Jesus cannot mean what, what he says, he thinks to himself. Right? Right? The spiritual discipline of sass, my friends, it is good and holy. Sass is another fruit of the Spirit that Paul inexplicably left off his list. You know, patience, kindness, gentleness, sass. I'm still working out the theology. It's it's not something I've ever really considered before that hike this week. I know that I have doled out plenty in my day, and lately I, I tend to be more on the receiving end Um, You know that that perfectly timed comment coming from perhaps your offspring about this tall, maybe? The grin, a a raised eyebrow that I taught them how to do. Uh, They keep me on my toes. And as I've thought about it more, I feel like sass is an overlooked spiritual practice. Now, to be clear, I am not talking about disrespect. We do not need any more sarcasm, any more uh, cruel words or passive-aggressive jabs. There is far too much violence in this world as it is. We don't need to add more with our language. But sass, sass can play another role uh, as, as humor that reveals truth like no other. It can be a way of connecting deeply and wholeheartedly in prayer. It's a way of of stepping in tenderly, maybe where it's a little bit raw. Our shield dropped, our armor gone. We can engage with, with truth and with doubt 
and with playfulness, all wrapped up in the sassy questions we, we throw back into a volley with God. If we search further, we'll find this sass all throughout our sacred text, not just from Sarai and Nicodemus. I can hear it in God refusing to give their name to Moses, you know, a, a normal name, and, and answering instead that, you can just call me I am. I hear the sassiness of Mary when she sings out the Magnificat as a young pregnant peasant, this song that sends the powerful tumbling down. We hear sass from Jesus himself, rolling his eyes at his mom's request to save a wedding party that's gone belly up, not convinced that it's yet his time to shine. We hear it when he goads the fishermen into trying something as silly as throwing their nets down on the other side of the boat, as if they haven't tried that countless times already. We hear it when he answers people's questions with yet more cryptic questions again and again. And then, finally, there is the Spirit. How many among us have experienced the sassiness of the Spirit when, when she overhears us saying that, I will never go to that place, or, or I will never do that thing, or see that person again, and then, voila, soon enough we are sent. The person delivered the thing, landed in our lap. The Spirit bemused and asking us if we might please reconsider This holy sass is all throughout our scripture, if we will open our eyes to it. And so, if you haven't chosen something to take on for Lent yet, I think sass could be a fabulous Lenten discipline. I'm serious. It's one way that we can repent, because repentance isn't about groveling. It's not about beating ourselves up. It's about turning back towards God. It's about living well in the wilderness and finding ways to keep reaching for God through it all. Repentance is about turning our hearts back in the direction of the Holy One, even in the regular muck of our lives. We can do that with sass. God models it and welcomes it. Above all, it is an invitation to intimacy, an invitation to be intimately close with God. Sass is a way to embody the kind of trust that assures us that we can say anything and everything to God, that we can bring the whole of ourselves forward in prayer. We can call out to God with our love and gratitude and excitement. And we can also raise our voices in our longing and our huge questions and in our gnarled hopes and scuttled dreams. God wants our frustration and doubt and rage because they are true also. The gift of this gospel is that Jesus demonstrates he can take it all. 
Yes, he gives Nicodemus a hard time also, but the final word is love. All of this, he says, is about love. God so loved the world that God came among us as Jesus to take our sass and toss it right back. We can bring everything we have to God, and God will welcome it, receive it, tend it with love. So don't hold back, friends. Bring your sass. Turn back to God and bring it all. 